Welcome to Data Driven Recruiting. In this podcast, we talk about strategies and techniques for leveraging objective talent data to improve hiring processes. Welcome back to Data Driven Recruiting. I'm Sophia Beck, and I'm here with my co host, Tigran Sloyan. Hi, Tigran. Hey, Sophia. Hello. Uh, Hello. So today we're going to be talking about the top five, top five ways to evaluate potential. So you said evaluating potential. Why? Why potential? Why should we be thinking about measuring potential? Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, when companies are trying to hire, you're ultimately hiring for potential because even though it feels like you're trying to evaluate current state, I mean you're hoping uh, or you're at least aiming to have whoever you hire stay at the company for at least a few years. And if you're, they're mm-hmm. going to be staying at the company for at least a few years, what you're really interested in is not what they can do today, but what they're going to be able to do a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. So really, every interview, every assessment process is an assessment process to understand someone's potential. Yeah, yeah. It's a, we, we expect them to grow in their career and do greater things. So sounds good. So yeah, what are what are, what are the top five ways? Let's start with the number five. So number five is the kind of the, the old nemesis, the well-known pedigree approach, right? A lot of people believe in it with their heart and soul that you know if you've gone to a well-known school, if you've worked at a well-known company, that means you have outstanding potential. Uh, and I don't want to discredit it completely. There is some merit to it, right? At the end of the day, uh, it's not easy to kind of get into a good school. It's not easy to go work at a good company. The main trouble with that approach is it just eliminates a lot of people very much unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And this is unfortunately what the majority of market does is they, they look at pedigree. And when you look at pedigree, you end up competing for a very small percentage of available total available pool and complaining that there is a shortage of good talent. Uh, but really there is shortage of pedigree because there is only so many people that can go to well-known companies or work at well And also pedigree by definition, it, it has more value and it's a pedigree when it's exclusive and small portion. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, we're, so, we're, so you're going to miss right? out. Right, yeah. right. But you're going to miss out on a lot of great candidates who might even be more open to new opportunities and work work at your company. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Absolutely. So number four then uh, mm-hmm. brings us to, to relevant, right? It's still on that side of the spectrum, which is past achievement. In some sense, you could argue that uh, what pedigrees really is, is past achievement. Uh, the, the reason past achievement is a better way to look at evaluating potential is that it's far more inclusive, right? So I might not have had the opportunity to go to uh, MIT or Stanford, or I might have not had the opportunity to work at a well-known company, but in whatever I did, right? Mm. Maybe if you're hiring an engineer, maybe I wasn't even an engineer, maybe I switched careers, maybe I was, my profession was something completely different. Uh, But, you know, personality type, still the same. People who tend to do a really good job tend to want to do a very good job regardless of what they do. And it's usually a decent predictor of uh, potential. Again, the problem though is how do you evaluate that? It's still very biased, right? So like when you think about past achievement, 
in most cases, a human needs to judge what's mm -hmm. achievement, what's not. And it's a very kind of something that could actually be a really good past achievement. I might not totally get it if you told me that, like, if I asked you what are some of your past achievements and you listed them, depending on my worldview and depending on how, what I've considered potential and where my parents have considered potential, which would probably, what my parents considered achievement, which probably translated to what I believe is achievement, I may right. or may not see that as achievement. So it yeah, leads to all... a lot of biases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very subjective, right? Because yeah. there is no objective way of saying achievement. It's still better than pedigree. It's still definitely yeah. better than pedigree. And mm -hmm. uh, there is a good chance that someone who's done well in something, doesn't matter what, if they've done a good job, if they've achieved some success in a previous role, uh, they will likely put the effort, the work, the you know the behaviors to, necessary to achieve success in the whatever in the role they're going to be in now. Right, but but it's also limited by your ability to explain what the achievement is. Right, so and if you are, the, yeah, and the interviewer's ability to interpret whatever you right, said. Exactly. Right, exactly. So it's yeah. a, so too many ways to fail, but it is still a good way to evaluate potential. Okay, mm -hmm. the number three. Number three would be references. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people who've worked with you, people, if I know somebody, if I'm doing an interview with you and I know someone who I trust a lot and they tell me that you're great, which is funny enough is how you and I met is someone told me <laughs> that you're great and it, it was true. Uh, it's a pretty reliable way to sort mm -hmm. of, uh, estimate potential because again if having worked with someone for a while it's uh, unless that person is really bad at reading uh, another human or they've just had a personal problem with the human which cluttered their judgment about their potential they can mm -hmm. reasonably well vouch for ability the problem with this one though is that it's very unique to be in a situation where you're looking evaluating a candidate and you know someone who knows them and you trust them and that person who knows them has worked with them well. Uh, and the other problem is that some people prefer this method so much is that they only hire people mm. based on referrals and like introductions, which leads to this kind of close circle of like, you know, yeah. we only hire people that we know or we know someone who knows them, uh, right. which is Very... funny enough is how VC operates. Like there's a lot of, you know, articles and blog posts about how hard it is as an entrepreneur who's not from Silicon Valley or not from the close circles to get in there. But if you literally ask PCs, they say, we only talk to founders who we got referred to by somebody we know, uh, mm -hmm. which I mean, you can understand them. They get pinged from many, many different sides and they don't have any other sort of point of reference really. Uh, so they exclusively go by reference, but then again, part of the reason why Silicon Valley is such a close circle. Right. But if you are a recruiting team or hiring team that's trying to have a more diverse group of mm -hmm. people, because that, you know, as because you are going to be working together and we know over and over, many researchers have shown that the more diverse your team is, the better, mm -hmm. better performance you will have. So yeah, there's a little caveat to that. Okay, well then what is the top two? So number two would be actually fairly and objectively measuring someone's ability mm -hmm. at the given moment. 
because ultimately, if you are highly capable today, and I'm able to identify that, right? You've got great skill level. Great skill level is usually tied to a ton of practice, ton of time and perseverance and energy spent into building up that skill set. Nobody's born with a amazing mm -hmm. hard skill, really. Uh, so it's typically a pretty good predictor of potential. And as a predictor of potential, it's also a lot more objective than any of the other ones we've talked about, right? If you can directly measure ability, if you don't have to rely on school you went to, what other people said about you, uh, what kind of achievements you've had before, those are a little bit more subjective. There's a lot of space for like just misunderstanding, just general right. misunderstanding and miscommunication. Right. And bias. Uh, yeah. And bias, right? Uh, this one is a lot more fair. It's a lot more numeric. The key is like direct measurement of ability. The problem in most hiring processes is that most companies do not get to do direct skill measurement until very late mm -hmm. in the process. So you could argue that like a an interview is a direct measurement of skill. Again, it's not great from the perspective that like the human still overlays on top of it their own biases, especially if the interview is not structured enough. Uh, but you could argue that that's the stage at which somebody measures my abilities directly. The problem mm -hmm. is that it happens far too late. So like before I've gotten to the point where some, an interviewer is measuring directly my abilities is I've gone through resumes reviews, I've gone through references and recommendations. And so like all the other ones have been stacked up. That means uh, a lot of people have been already cut out before you ever got to skill measurement as a predictor of potential. Right, right. All right, so then what is our number one? So number one, I guess to talk before we talk about number one, uh, mm -hmm. I gotta talk about what's the problem with current skill level measurement. The problem with current skill mm -hmm. level measurement is uh, it also reflects the opportunities people have had to practice the skill, right? So if you think about how does someone get to have the skill that they have today, is it's access to education, it's access to the support mechanisms that, that are gonna help you, it's access to tutors and good teachers and friends who encourage you to study because the environment okay. matters just as much. When people ask me about like, what's great about MIT, it's not really the classes, it's not really anything else, it's the environment. It's being surrounded by nerds like you who kind of push you, it's, it's cool to study, that's the thing, right? So, and, and many people mm -hmm. who grow up in slightly less uh, inducing environments and environments where that is the cool thing to do uh, or don't have those opportunities and uh, the luxury of spending days just studying and learning end up with right. not the same level of skill because they just haven't, mm -hmm. haven't had the opportunity. And the problem with measuring skill directly is you just reflect past opportunity and you can mm -hmm. potentially miss someone who does have great potential. It's just they're not there yet. They need the chance, they need the time, they need the space to live up to that potential, uh, even though their current skill level, level level is not where it needs to be. Which brings us to the number one, right? Is if you could measure change in ability, right? So if, instead of measuring current state, if you could measure progress, mm -hmm. now you're starting to talk about, okay, well, maybe you haven't reached this level because you haven't had the opportunity yet. But if I measure in a standardized way, how has your ability changed over time? I make a measurement today, like a unbiased, direct, fair measurement of your ability. 
And then I do another measurement a month or two months, three months later, maybe another one a year later. And then I look at the rate of growth. Mm -hmm. And then I compare that rate of growth to other applicants or people who already work here, right? Because again, ultimately what I'm interested in is how fast do you grow? Given some opportunity, given some time, how fast can you grow? How much work do you put in to improving your skills? Mm -hmm. And now, uh, usually it's like should be viewed in combination, like where you are right now and how fast you're growing as a predictor of where will you be given enough time and opportunity. I see. Yeah. So it's almost like um, if we can have the resources to measure a particular candidate over time, that's going to give you a lot more clear sense mm -hmm. of um, how much they can also grow once they join you and be part of the team. Uh, in the in practical sense, how does that, what are some of the ways that it can happen in like real recruiting? Like is, is that um, as a recruiter, do I, do I um, go, you know, let's say maybe, maybe it's like, let's say it's an university recruiting before I mm -hmm. hire someone for full time, do I try to go even younger class classes and try to measure them ahead of time so that I have yeah. data or, yeah. So the biggest problem of doing this right now is uh, there is no standardization around measurements. Like you need to have mm. standardization around your measurements. Like you can't be measuring people many different ways. Every time you interview them, you shouldn't be sort of having a sort of slightly different criteria or slightly different outcome or it, your outcome shouldn't just be a yes or a no. That's the other problem, right? right? Like most interviews mm -hmm. end in a yes or a no. It's very hard to measure progress when it's a binary <laughs> decision. Because right, right? you could have different thresholds at different times right. for different exactly. roles. Exactly. Yeah. So you should have some sort of a like a numeric value, right? Out mm -hmm. of that evaluation, that numeric value needs to be standardized for you to be able to say, all right, well, here's where that point value was this many months or this many years before, and here's where it is now. Uh, and without that, you really cannot measure potential. So like when it comes to, for example, you've mentioned university recruiting and university recruiting, many, especially the larger companies, right? The Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks of the world, a lot of candidates apply not once, not twice. I mean, there are stories where people apply 10 to 15 times before they actually made it. Mm -hmm. uh, in that kind of a process, you should be able to see progression uh, if you have standard way of measuring, you should be able to see, okay, where was this person before? How fast have they grown? How fast has their skill level been changing as a way to inform your decision-making instead of starting from scratch every time, which is unfortunately what happens, right? Like you just start from right, scratch as right. if all of that work of evaluation you've done before doesn't matter at all, but it does. And it's kind of like, as you said, yeah, if it was a standardized enough, if I can leverage the data points that other companies have collected, so for mm -hmm. example, if it's like a TOEFL for English proficiency level, like mm -hmm. maybe the data lives with the candidate. So you can just ask the candidate to, you know, share the historical data, although we just yep. met, uh, then yep. you can look at the progress rather than, uh, well, sorry, let's wait for one year and then see how much you have progress, yeah. right? Exactly, right? So that's the problem with every company conducting their own sort of uh, unique assessment process in the bubble mm -hmm. is that that data is not shared. So when it comes to measuring progress, when it comes to measuring potential, you really are on your own to build up all of those data points over time to see how well that has worked out. Whereas, as you said, if the data lived with the candidate, the candidate owned the data, 
from all of the different companies that they've kind of been interviewing with, then you can look at the full package and similar to those, some of those standardized assessments that you've mentioned, right? Like the GMAT, GRE, TOEFL, where there is, you can see how the score has been changing over time and you can mm -hmm. use that as a, as a measure of potential. Yeah, and as a candidate, like I would want to know how I progressed. It's almost like mm -hmm. my own metrics of my growth rather than yep. that data only living with a different companies and I have no access and no idea how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And most yeah. companies for yeah. legal reasons don't even share the, any sort of reasoning behind besides the yes and a no. So as you said, mm -hmm. it's also a great opportunity for uh, the candidate to study and learn and understand where they stand and have they been improving or not. Because if you don't even know if you've been improving, you only find out when you go and interview again. It's really hard to sort of stay motivated and know what you need to be focusing on. Exactly. Well, thanks for your insights and advice today. And thanks everyone for joining us today. If you're interested in more tips and uh, insights on data-driven recruiting, please go to ddr.codesignal.com. We'll see you next time.